0: We had a compass with us. We always wore a compass on search dives like this. I mean, we did what we call, what we learned to do—a a circular sweep using the compass. And um, right at the end of it, we were very lucky. We nearly missed it. Suddenly, looming up in front of us was a was an aircraft. Aqualaut. My adventures and misadventures in the early days of scuba diving off the Cornish coast. Written and read by me, James Wheeler. I want to talk now about my last big dive, I guess. Um, I think it was around about August 1971, and um, it was a normal British Subacra Club, Penzance Club, um, evening meeting, and that always took place in a local pub. And we heard that a chap called Peter Cornish from Hampstead Diving Club had uh, found an aircraft um, in Mounts Bay. Well, in fact, we found out later that it was a chap from from Watford Club who found it. But uh, Peter Cornish had well researched this, this aircraft and where it came from. Now it seemed that there was one of four uh, Bristol Bowfighter Mark 1s from the RAF that were originally sent to North Africa to see if they could operate in desert conditions. And on the way back they stopped off at Gibraltar for refuelling. And then you know, the plan was to make it back to the UK and land at St Neville Airport not far from Nuke in North Cornwall. So, the story goes that uh, one particular aircraft got lost as he approached the, the English coast, found that he was in the southwest coast of Cornwall, and apparently, uh, according to the accounts in the local paper, the visibility was poor, the pilot's compass was not operating properly, apparently, and... Um, he was running out of fuel, so he, he couldn't land anywhere, so he decided that he would have to ditch in the sea. And uh, from all accounts, that's what happened. He ditched in Mounts Bay. Uh, apparently, according to the people at the club who knew all about this from Peter Cornish, that it was ditched near the Lowly Reef. Now, we've dived in the Lowly Reef many, many times on the Wreck of the Primrose. And uh, so we knew it very well, and uh, we thought perhaps we could go and find it. So, the next opportunity we had, we took Aquanaut out and went out to Lowly Reef, which is not far for us to go, and um, started to use our ferrograph sounder to search for the wreckage of this aircraft. Well, we spent practically the whole morning Trying to locate it, but in the end, we got a reading which looked um, looked promising. So we dropped the anchor and got kitted up ready to dive. Well, Bob and I went down together this time, and uh, it wasn't very clear. The visibility was was poor. It's only about six feet maximum, um, and we went down to ninety feet and found ourselves on just mud and and gravel Um, nothing much to see at all so we didn't know which direction to go we decided we had a compass with us we always wore a compass on search dives like this i mean we did what we call what we learned to do uh, a circular sweep using a compass and um, right at the end of it we were very lucky we nearly missed it Suddenly, looming up in front of us, was was an aircraft. We saw these big two engines with big propeller blades looking at us. Um, We swam up to it and the aircraft was lying flat on its belly on the mud and looked quite intact, indeed. Well, we swam around it, and uh, I think I remember correctly that the tail section was missing, so that probably broke off on impact when it landed. The cockpit, uh, top of the cockpit was missing, so the pilot must have got out. And um, in fact, we, we, Bob was able to get into the cockpit and sit in the cockpit. And he was able to free the, the compass and the bomb aimer from the control panel. So you uh, wanted to keep that as a souvenir. While Bob was doing this, I was swimming along one of the port wings, one of the wings, and um, found that the new machine gun was partly exposed. And I managed to pull out some machine gun bullets on a belt, they decided to, to leave them there because, after all, it was live ammunition and it was a bit pointless bringing it to the surface. Anyway, I didn't, I didn't see the point of breaking up the aircraft, so they had two brand new machine guns in the wings. And then, on closer, closer inspection, um, we, we saw all the cannons, what I believe to be all the cannons, fixed underneath the, the, the fuselage. And, of course, they must have been live ammunition also. Um, to be honest, we weren't sure, because of the poor visibility, whether the aircraft was the Royal Air Force, a British aircraft, or whether it was a German aircraft. You couldn't see the markings on the wings or the fuselage because of all the algae uh, that had grown uh, on, on, the, on the, uh, the fuselage, covering it completely. And Bob found what looked like a small battery, only about nine inches in length. And he took out his knife and he scraped one side, and it was just black. He scraped three sides with nothing, and on the last scrape of the last side, it said RAF. So we knew that we'd found a, a British aircraft, and it was very likely the one that Peter Cornish was talking about, one of the four that ditched one of the one of the four that managed to get back from Gibraltar, but this one ditched, having got lost in fog and heavy weather, off the Cornish coast. So, it was a good dive, and um, uh, it was a very interesting dive. The propellers were enormous, a good twelve feet diameter, and it was a lovely aircraft. So we had to abandon that dive because our air was running out, and uh, that's the first aircraft. In all my diving time, I'd ever found under the sea. I'm sure because of the war, there must be plenty more that are out there somewhere, but this is the first one we ever found. Of course, I will stress that we we got the marks, approximate marks and location at the uh, pub the night before, so we weren't actually working completely in the dark. And with our photograph echo sander, we were able to, to find it. That was not, of course, the last time we were to see the Bristol Beaufighter, because at the next club night meeting, um, we discovered that um, Peter Cornish had wanted to lift this aircraft to raise it and uh, apparently the RAF Museum in in London, Hendon, were interested in in doing so and I believe they gave him some sponsorship money in order to carry out the operation. So I believe that, without going into all the details, which I can't remember, it was Peter Cornish who arranged this project. Uh, He had help from Hatfield Polytechnic um, Diving Club and others who wanted to plan it. And this obviously had set about a procedure to lift this aircraft from the seabed. So the problem was, of course, um, you need a boat to do it and they only had inflatable dinghies. So we volunteered Aquanaut as the dive boat. And, um, well, this kind of project, of course, is not easy. There are a number of problems here. First of all, the depth. Um, Divers uh, didn't want to do more than one dive at a time. Two dives at 90 feet plus is always a risk of nitrogen narcosis. So, the only way it could be carried out would be by teamwork. Um, and the plan, which was mapped out, was to um, have Hatfield Polytechnic Club, some people from Hampstead, and Penzance Diving Club, all to go out with their inflatable dinghies um, with Aquanaut to um, attempt to raise this aircraft. The question was, how do you do it? Well, Peter Cornish had devised a a procedure with um, using 20 40 gallon oil drums. Now the oil drums were open-ended at one end and a, and a, a cable fixed so that uh, they could act like a bucket. And uh, the first procedure, of course, was to um, try and get some something to fix the, around the aircraft to fix these 40 gallon oil drums to, to give lift. Now, I don't know whether he calculated it or not but he reckoned must have reckoned that it would take 40 gallon old 20 40 gallon old drums uh, filled with, with air to get enough lift to lift this aircraft uh, from 90 feet of water and uh, I don't think it had ever been done before. So on this particular weekend it was a planned weekend. we all rendezvous at Penzance Harbour, Aquanaut and four. Uh, rubber dinkies from the different diving clubs and the relay of divers already with their kit and um, first thing we had to do was load these oil drums on board Aquanaut so Aquanaut was completely stacked up with 20 40 gallon empty oil drums we also had a compressor which had been lent to us the idea was that um, uh, the compressor would provide air to pump into the, the oil drums with a pipe going down, down to the wreck, but uh, I'll come back to that. So we steamed out there, got to the lowly reef, and got to the location. And the first procedure was to put two big, big cables underneath the fuselage of the of the aircraft to um, come together in a loop at the top to fix these these old cans, old drums to it. Well, that went well, um, but as I say, it took many dives and a relay of divers to do this, and um, it was it was a very successful beginning. And then the next procedure, of course, was to drop all the old drums, old drums into the, into the into the water, and each diver dived down with an oil drum, because of course they quickly quickly fill the water. And went down very quickly with the diver. So the next procedure was to have divers located just above the cables on the aircraft, and to fix the old drum loop cable to to the main lifting cable one at a time. So they put the, the compressor on board Aquanaut and started it up. So we had a pipe going down ninety feet to hold with compressed air coming down to fix holding our hands and then put it into the oil drum and of course the air pressure pushed the water out and the oil drum one by one eventually filled with air and floated like a balloon above the aircraft. So this was a, a drawn out procedure, it took some time. I, I went down on, on the, one of these dives and I found it easier to use my bubbles, my exhaust bubbles from my own own bottle. So what I did, I stuck my head inside an oil drum and of course my exhaust bubbles began to fill up the the oil drum and push the water out. So I was able uh, to fill up at least two or three oil drums using the bubbles from my compressed air, which I was breathing out. The only problem that, of course, was that we had all these oil drums clanging against each other just above the aircraft, floating above the aircraft, and wires everywhere holding them in suspension. And we had a diver, I forget who it was, might have been from one of the other clubs, who was down at the front of the aircraft, and his job was to give us an indication with a signal say if the aircraft was beginning to to move or not, to lift or not. And um, that's what happened. Um, Before we knew it, we'd had these oil drums filled and I noticed there was some movement in the aircraft and uh, I decided to get out quick before I went up too quickly with it. And this is where the problem began. I couldn't get out. My bottle And my valves, my breathing valves, were trapped in the wires of the oil cans suspended above the aircraft, and I just couldn't get out. And uh, suddenly the aircraft began to move slowly, and then as the the um, air expanded in the oil cans, it went up at a rate of knots, very fast indeed, and I went with it, and. uh, I came up from 90 feet, it's the fastest time I've ever come up from 90 feet in my life. Trying to remember to exhale all the way because I was fearful of getting nerve embolism. So I hit the surface and I was still stranded on all these oil drums and wires. The only way I could get out was to take my breathing apparatus off and swim out of it and pull my apparatus after me. And then of course i realised, like some of the others did on board Aquanaut, that they hadn't thought this through. It's all very well raising it with oil drums full of air as soon as the oil drums hit the surface, they began to fill the water again. And the aircraft began to descend. Now what happened, uh, I remember clearly what the port engine broke off the wing and just descended rapidly to the seabed. But we managed to, uh, with the oil drums, try to hold them up right. Managed to suspend the aircraft what was the other half of it and the fuselage in the cockpit and the one engine and the starboard wing, just beneath the surface. We quickly got her two strong ropes from the stern section of Aquanaut, our boat, and lashed into the aircraft, and um, she just floated there. The aircraft just only about six feet beneath the surface. Um, I might tell you I was very glad to um, get back on board Aquanaut, because I felt pretty sick. Uh, uh, it's my, my second dive. I should have done only one dive, but I did two dives that day, trying to be enthusiastic about it, because we dived at that depth quite often on our own uh, and done two or three dives. So I don't think uh, the other divers wanted to do that, but we did. But it wouldn't have been possible without this relay of divers from the Penzance Club, the Hartfield Club, uh, and the Hampstead Club. So it was all, it was all um, a great success to a point, getting most of the aircraft to the surface. The next job, of course, was to bring it back to Penzance Harbour. Well, you can imagine this was very difficult. Um, the aircraft being just below the surface, about six feet maximum, was acting like a big rudder. Um, and so Aquanaut would not answer to the rudder at all. So it took us, oh, several hours, I forget how long, to tow this aircraft all the way across Mounts Bay into Benzance Harbour. And it was evening time, by the time we got there um, at the quayside, where an RAF crane was waiting to lift the aircraft out of the water onto a low load loader load, 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 load lorry to uh, take the aircraft to Hendon, who were hoping to put it to some use. So, we got back to the harbour, moored up, and the crane was quite successful in lifting the aircraft right out of the water onto the harbour side. And uh, I was there to see all that. I was amazed at the the undercarriage, the wheels. They were like new, because they'd been stuck under the mud and been preserved. And I remember distinctly one of the um, oil cooler uh, cylinders coming out from one of the engines, and the oil that came out under the quayside was like was crystal clear, it was brand new clean oil. You'd never believe it'd be down there for 30 years. And uh, they were very pleased to end them, were very pleased to get this, um, this aircraft because not many had survived the war. So that was the um, the only time that we lifted an aircraft and uh, it was a very successful operation. I think they could have got the entire aircraft if they decided how to cope with the aircraft when it reached the surface because it doesn't seem to strike anybody that these oil cans, when they reach the surface, would fill with water and there would be no buoyancy and the aircraft would sink. that's exactly what happened, but we were fortunate enough to save uh, two-thirds of it, and uh, that's what we towed back to Penzance. I believe it was taken to R.E.F. Hendon. Um, I've been there since, over 30, 40 years later, and told them about the story, and they were very interested. I had a magazine with me, the British Tobacco magazine, which gave... A brief account of it all back in 1971, and they photocopied that because they were fascinated by it all. And um, I believe it, that some of the sections of the aircraft were put back together and used in the museum. So I guess uh, it's, it's still up there today. So that was the one and only dive on an aircraft. It was quite a quite successful, lift to a point, and um, but as I said, it could have been much more uh, uh, successful if they'd had buoyancy bags on the surface to lash to the aircraft when it reached the surface and of course that wasn't the case. So um, it wasn't entirely uh, uh, what they wanted to do but uh, they did raise it. So that was the raising of the Bristol Beaufort in Mounts Bay on the Lowly Reef in August 1971. So that concludes my diving experience off the Cornish coast in the 60s. Um, I didn't of course go into every wreck that we dived on, every salvage that we did um, because it was very repetitive and uh, often following the same procedure during the dives. But uh, I want to stress that um, we had a great time, uh, we made some money and um, there's a lot more out there. Um, I guess since that time, more divers have gone down and found more wrecks, which we never found. And of course, these days, now in, the, in the, modern diving techniques, they can dive with much better conditions. They've got warm, dry suits. They've got sophisticated technical equipment to make sure they don't in into decompression problems. Um, their breathing apparatus is very sophisticated. They can talk to each other underwater wearing helmets and uh, communicate. We didn't have any of this. We were very primitive diving. And uh, I think to do, to do what we managed to do with the equipment we had at the time, we did damn well. And uh, since these days, of course, with all the television programs on diving, uh, it all looks very easy, um, much easier. than we had it. And you know, one of the most hindering aspects of our diving was the cold we were always cold and uh, now with these heated suits these sophisticated dive suits they can stay down forever more and of course only with the introduction of mixed gases we were using compressed air and with compressed air you're very limited uh, because of the oxygen uh, intake is low only 21% oxygen in air 70 79% uh, nitrogen and um, sorry 71% I think it is nitrogen. Anyway um, you will always had the problem of nitrogen narcosis. Now they can use mixtures of gases like oxyhelium, and they can go much deeper. So they get less, opp- less risk of getting into decompression time. They can go down to 200 feet plus now which we couldn't do back in our day. At least without taking serious risk. I think the deepest I ever went was about 180 feet. And uh, my wooden, my goodness, I remember looking at my depth gauge and, and looking at my my uh, breathing gauge, and every time I took a breath of air, the dial on the gauge seemed to go all the way back to red because we are consuming a lot of air at that depth and, of course, a lot of nitrogen. And, of course, at that depth, you're coming up, you've got a lot of decompression to do. But with gases like oxyhelium, that is not an issue so the divers today got it easy compared to what we had in our day I'm not complaining I'm just saying good luck to them but uh, we never had those facilities and if we had we could have done a lot more I hope you've enjoyed it and it's a window of time when diving was in its infancy and uh, hopefully um, you have enjoyed it as much as I have doing it and thank you for listening If you wondering, the Music for the Aquanaut podcast is a track from Stone Cold entitled Morning Rise.